Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Pride of Detroit podcast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. It's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. That's right. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park. Each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams of protein. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offerings. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. That's promo code POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. I was coughing earlier. I was muted. Yes, thank you. We will start the show. That stays in. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, pridedetroit.com. Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us live on twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit, where uh, just things like that happen because we are a professional outlet with one of the largest <laughs> Lions podcasts on the internet. And we just do things just effing professionally here. We're off season mode, off season mode, off season mode. We let our non-existent hair down. And none of us have long hair, so we can't really let it down. You can't let Jeremy, you don't you don't you have big hair, but you don't have long hair. You can't let that hair down. So that's fair. That's kind of true. Ryan Matthews. Black is the rock guy. He can't let his hair down either. Um, yeah, what what is going on right now? <laughs> I don't know. We're just doing an extent. We're just doing a, a abbreviated intro. So uh, Ryan, I, Ma- I, I feel like you're projecting a little bit, Chris. <laughs> On what? Jeremy and I definitely have more hair than you. That is. That's okay. That's okay. Well, I I did just buzz it down, so yes, that is. Yeah. Okay. Momentarily true. Yeah. What? (laughs) Off season. Welcome to it. Off season. Off season. Are we fighting already? Drink from the cup. Drink from the cup. (laughs) Drink from the cup. (laughs) Welcome to the off season. Uh, Lions off season. Uh, Not quite the off season for the NFL. And boy. I think we're going to have a scraps come out at some point about our thoughts from these playoffs because uh, holy hell, but we're here to talk about the lions for the main podcast. And we will do that right now. Once we get the rest of the business out of the way, Ryan at Ryan underscore POD, Jeremy at Detroit online. And I am the, the very annoying voice is Chris Perfett, the adequate host at Chris Perfett on Twitter. And we are here once again to update you on the Ben Johnson death con alert. We'll get to that in a second. We've got some news and notes from around the league. Uh, plenty of red meat for the NFL doesn't like the Lions conspiracy crowd. And 
the key of this podcast, season awards. Most valuable players for offense and defense, best coach, golden game ball, best moment, best game. We'll, we'll get to all of that. But first, we start, we're going to start every podcast in the offseason. If you haven't been with us for the offseason, guess what? We don't stop. But we kind of go into a different format in the offseason, and we start with news and notes. So I hand it over to Jeremy, who's going to let us all know about the fine shenanigans, because uh, I was annoyed by this yeah. immensely. <laughs> Me too. And li- like, like, listen, this is this doesn't this isn't a story that has a lot of meat to it. We're, we're, there's not a lot of takes to have. Um but it's something that I want to talk about because it's frustrating and stupid. And it just shows to me that the NFL still doesn't understand things. <clears throat> so Jamal Williams dances after his first touchdown in Green Bay. It's the same dance he did. What I think it was against the Vikings that got him fined the first time. He gets fined again, which whatever, I guess, like that, that alone ha- I have issues with. But second time offender, so the fine goes up a little bit. What bothers me more, though, is the fact that Quay Walker, who lost his mind in the middle of a football game and pushed an athletic trainer, got a much less significant fine. If, you, if you're if you interested in the numbers, Quay was fined. Uh, let me get the number here. It's a few thousand less. It was like, yeah, I think, it was, yeah. It was like 13,000 versus 18,000 for the two time defender. And part of it is you get escalated for every offense that you have. Um 13,000 was was essentially Jamal's first find. So now it's 18,000 the second time. Quay Walker did have a previous incident. I was going to say, he had an incident. Was he not fined for that? He was not fined for the first one where he shoved a practice squad player on the sidelines uh, <sighs> from the other team. But he got ejected. He did not get fined for that for whatever reason. Now, even, even though it's a very similar incident, he does get fined this time. It is only 13,000. So... I don't know. And, and and we can even get into the other guys that did or didn't get fined in that football game. But to me, it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, first of all, we're, we're going back into the 1950s where someone just like doing a hula hoop motion, which I know is probably a very innocuous way to describe what Jamal Williams was doing. It's more than two pumps. But like, what what is the big deal? Who's getting hurt by that? It's not over overtly sexual in my mind. Not not that we need to really get in the details of it, but that to, we we need to make sure that like that gets punished rather than a guy getting shoved. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Someone else take like I. It's just it's stupid. It's ridiculous. I don't I don't know where to go for with from here. Yeah, I I, I thought it was kind of surprising that uh, Devonte Wyatt's little bump didn't uh, I don't know get him something. Yeah. Um, I, I I thought that that was. A little less egregious than Jerron Reed getting absolutely nothing for forearm shivering DeAndre Swift uh, in in, in a, like a non-football play. Like that's yeah. it, what he did was not a football play. Right. Um, I thought immediately like when that play happened and, and seeing the replay of it, I was like, if there's somebody who should be ejected, it should be Jerron Reed. And then I saw what Quay Walker did and I was like, well, get rid of both of them then. <laughs> um, just throw the whole damn team out. Um, but I, the, the only thing with Jamal Williams that I that I can think of is that I think Roger Goodell was probably brought up in a household that was decidedly against Elvis <laughs> and just no no hip gyrations. Uh, it's it's a big no no in in the Goodell I, house. So this this feels like. By the way, Rasul Douglas also got fined. He only got fined about eleven thousand dollars after shoving a Lions player. He was the other unnecessary roughness uh, call in that game. Yeah, but I, I I feel like this is something the NFL just. I mean, we 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 know from the 2000s how much they struggled with 
the very idea of celebrations. And we thought this was done when they brought back, Hey, you can celebrate. We're going to loosen the rules on celebrating after a, after a touchdown. And no, no, we have to reel it back in because we're having a Ned Flanders moment, I guess, or or something (laughs) where like, you're right. What is it about hip gyrations in particular? But it, it, it it just it it's such it's just frustrating because it feels like a it's the key and peels it's the key and peels sketch, and b, like we I thought a couple years ago we got a promise this wasn't going to keep happening and it right. keeps happening. To, to but, me, the thing that's kind of funny is is just like thinking about a, a council like a, a a group of NFL decision makers that are just like they're they're watching every celebration per week and 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 they're just like. Is this too sexy? Pass. Fail. Is this too Pass, sexy? Fail. Ooh, I don't know that that oh that one that one made it move a little bit. That one's a little too sexy. <laughs> who's who's on the who's who's on the too sexy committee? I think we I think that's the answer that we're looking for is who is on the is it too sexy committee for the NFL? <laughs> so and how do I become I, a part of it? <laughs> I think I think I think one of them is Jimmy Johnson, and whenever Jimmy Johnson's like, yeah, oh, that's really sexy. It's like, all right, find that guy. Jimmy Johnson saying it approvingly, but the NFL is like, no. Nope. <laughs> oh, you, you guys want to talk about more officiating and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, that's that's the small offer we have. It's 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 this that the Jamal Williams getting fined more than Quay Walker is what's the word I'm looking for? It is uh, outrageous in the very easy to understand phase. This one, however, the second bit of officiating that we want to talk about, unfortunately leads me into one of my least favorite topics with Lions fans. And that somehow bad officiating went from the Lions luck now over to talking about Rams Seahawks. And I think there was at least one NFL insider talking about this game, Jeremy, and I am seeing the words being thrown around. This was the worst officiated game of the year, including on down to the conspiracy that because one of the refs was from Seattle, that that a lot of these calls were being thrown in the favor of the Seattle Seahawks and against the Los Angeles Rams. This is my least favorite topic. I I hate conspiracy lions. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, And, and to call that, the worst officiated game of the year is, is, is huge hyperbole. Um, I don't know who it was. It was just a random league source um, that, that talked to Adam Schefter and ESPN. Um, I, it, to me, it's almost an entertaining story. It's just like, it, it's, it's crazy that there is a, a, an officiating uh, crisis and, and, and controversy that is somehow surrounded the Detroit Lions in a game that the Detroit Lions aren't playing. It's, it's crazy. And and the fact that there's a quote from the article that says specifically, quote, the Lions should be livid. It was an awful way for them to end their season. It's just like you're you're feeding all of the trolls in the Lions fan base that are just like, this is what fe- fuels me. There's a conspiracy. And I don't believe any of that stuff like you. And it's it's silly and stupid, but it's just it's it's a crazy coincidence it- that that this is continuing to happen. It's it's more than that. It feels narcissistic. <laughs> like when Lions fans start talking about this, it feels narcissistic that the NFL of all people is out to get you of all right. people. I don't I don't understand it. Like we have bad officiating games. I don't think the effect, Ryan, I, I don't even think the fact that there was a ref from Seattle 
like that he was calling things in favor of Seattle. I don't buy that. I just don't like the idea that you're from a place means automatically you're a fan of the team and you're supposed to be officiating. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't, I can't buy it. And at the end of the day, the Lions had plenty of other chances to win other games to make sure that Rams Seahawks didn't need to matter for them. The lesson learned from all of this is that Detroit versus everybody knows no bounds. It doesn't oh, yeah, matter. No, it doesn't stop. It, it it bleeds over into all aspects of life because of what you said, Chris, like it's a very like narcissistic thing to think like, oh my God, like all these things keep happening to, to me and the football team that I root for. And, uh, I mean, what a headline it made for, though, right? Thank you, random league source who called <laughs> it the worst officiated yes. game Thank of the year. Thank you for the clicks, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Oh um, yeah, sure, sure. The, the the only other thing I would say is like, what is the NFL's end game in this conspiracy theory? Is it get a bad Seahawks team into the playoffs so that they can get bounced easily by the 49ers? Because guess what, the Lions are starting to become a national brand. They have a lot of fans right now, like, and a lot of how many fans did you see from other sport from other fandoms? In the past week, they were like, man, I wish the Lions had made the playoffs. They would have been a fun team to watch. I went on with some Seattle people uh, going into Packers Lions, and they believed that like that the, the same thing. It's, it's on the other side of the mirror. The NFL was against the Seahawks because they wanted Lions Packers in prime time to matter. And if the Seahawks won, they felt the Lions would lay down the Packers. Would get, they thought the league was being rigged for right. the Packers. Right. But if you are the league, you want Lions Packers to on Sunday night football, which you just flexed, to be a play-in game. Yep. Regardless. Yeah, you there's... do. I, I think the thing I will say, though, is like, were there bad calls in the game? Absolutely. Like so, yes. the, the, the running into the kicker penalty um, was really bad because the Rams player was, you know, pushed into the the Seahawks punter. Um, I mean, I'm not so like if we're going to complain about Jamal Williams and his celebration getting a fine, I'm not going to complain about Quandre Diggs, like, you know, point, pointing at the sideline. Right. right. Like, we, we only we we don't like taunting when it when it when it personally affects us. But when when our team does it, it it's awesome and it should be allowed. Hey, Quandre right. can do no law wrong as far as I'm concerned. That man is I, a former lion. I like Respect. to think I like to think that Quandary Diggs does the thing that uh, Bobby Boucher does in the water boy where he just pictures Matt Patricia's head on everybody. <laughs> and so that's why he was pointing at the sideline. He was pointing at a, like, you know, 50 Matt Patricia's. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. There, yeah. there were bad calls, but like we were watching it live on this on this Twitch stream and we we're just like I, at no point was I like, wow. The Lions are getting massively screwed here. It's just like, no, well, there was a bad running into the kicker. And guess what? The the the, the Rams had 70 yards that they could, still could have stopped the, the Seahawks from scoring after that. It was a five-yard penalty. All right. I know it gave him a first down, but it's not like it's not like an Aaron Rodgers bomb to a guy that barely gets touched and you give him 60 free yards on a bunk pass interference. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> what I hate about this topic is that everything we're saying is correct and people will still be mad and say, and basically they'll start you at, so are you trying to say that game wasn't fairly, uh, was fairly officiated? It's like, no, we're not saying that. And then they take it to the nth degree. It's like, we can't, I can't give you the, the reason why I hate this topic is because the people who are saying that the lions somehow got were victim as a conspiracy theory is I can't even give you the inch. I can't even admit to you that, yes, this was a poorly officiated game because then you'll take it to the next step that you see in your head, which is, oh, then, you know, well, if it was a poorly officiated game, then the Lions are still getting screwed because they're getting poorly officiated. 
like I, I, I can't, I can't fight you. I can't fight you because nothing you say makes sense. Not because you have a good point, but because fighting conspiracy theory is ridiculous. It's stupid. It's beyond stupid because you make one logical leap from one logical leap and just look, man, untangling it is going to take more time than I have. Thankfully, we don't have to talk about the officials ever again until September. Maybe I'm sure I'm sure there won't be any officiating controversies in the rest of the playoffs. Oh, no, no, I'm sure. But I I don't want to hear it in regards to Lions. You never know. Something might pop up. Well, I mean, I I guess we can say right now, like nothing really matters to the Lions at this point. Right. Like the Vikings lost. Celebrate. Is, is, Is Anthony Hitchens still in the playoffs? Not well, we did resolve the uh, <laughs> the final terms of the uh, TJ Hawkinson trade, thanks to the Vikings compare, completely choking away against the uh, uh, th- thank you. Thank you, Kirk Cousins, deciding to throw completely short of the first down when you needed that to win the game. That TJ Hawkinson trade, like the, the details are finalized That's now, right, sure. Jeremy? Yep. The Lions are going to give a, a 2024th fourth round pick and uh, their second round pick for uh uh-huh this year is is 55 i think so i believe that's correct yeah well the next thing on the docket then is uh if you want to make a case as far as anything about lions culture jeremy's favorite word that doesn't exist besides the other one with an m we have at least three lions players who want to come back who are saying they want to come back and now i think it's a matter of money but i mean jeremy jamal williams john kaminsky dj shark DJ Shark in particular, who was from outside the Lions, said he wanted to play in Detroit, had had a bad first half of the season, turned it around at the end. He wants to come back. John Kaminsky, we've talked plenty about John Kaminsky coming on to his own. And Jamal Williams, who I don't think there's enough roses in the Rose Garden to throw <laughs> at his feet for his performance this year, all want to come back. Yeah, it's uh, and, and yeah, listen, there there is something to be said about the culture, right? Um, and yeah. and you talked I mean, about before. I'm just giving you shit. Winning, winning also helps. Going eight and two, and and being a you know a, a playoff contender and a team that probably looks like they're in the best shape going into 2023 in the NFC North. Um, all that plays a part, but at the same time, like if you guys saw John Kaminsky's Instagram post, that guy was essentially begging Lions fans to make sure that the Lions know he wants to be back, and that to me feels very new. That to me feels very different than just, hey, I want to play for a winning team. That's I want to play for these coaches. That's I want to play with these players. That's I want to be part of what's happening in Detroit. And, and you know, I also gathered all of like the end of season posts that all the rookies were making on social media. And like everyone seems to be outpouring in a way that I don't think we've ever seen in Detroit. So, um, yeah, that that's huge because it does mean a guy like Jamal Williams, who let's be honest, like he's going to be a coveted free agent right now. He's over a thousand yards and what was it? 16, 17 touchdowns. That's going to turn some heads. And so I'm not saying he'll necessarily stay for a hometown discount. I think you're still going to have to give him a significant pay raise, but Kaminsky might give you a, a discount. Chark might give you a discount. Like guys that don't have a huge, huge, huge market value, I think might stay here for a little bit of a discount. Um, and, and that's, that's huge. That's, and, and just the fact that they even want to be here because listen, I've been in some locker rooms after some bad seasons and some, some players will off the record will straight up tell you like this is the last time I'm going to see you. Like I'm not coming back here. And I don't, I don't think you got any of that this year. Yeah. I, I think something to keep in mind though, uh, the least talked about lion, apparently John Kaminsky, we should always <laughs> mention that. Um, 
like he was somebody who was he was a hot ticket item when he was on waivers. You know, True. the Lions weren't the only True. team that put in a claim for him. And then he proceeded to go out and have a really, really good season. So, um, you know, he might be coveted. But to Jeremy's point, like he wants to play for the Lions. So may- maybe, you know, he instead of, you know, turns down a few dollars to to play for Detroit, that, that'd be great. I, I think the interesting one, because I, I think Jamal Williams is back with a bullet. Like, there's no way. Like, it seems like he's the heart and soul of the football team. Now, I, he's due he's for probably a, a pay team raise. Cap, team captain next year, I would say. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, it seems like he's the lifeblood of this football team. And I think the most interesting one, though, is DJ Shark. Just because mm-hmm. of the position that the Lions are in, in terms of their wide receiver corpse. Um, I, I also think that... You know, what Chris said earlier, I mean, it was injuries again. You know, injuries forced DJ Shark to go out. And and that's why DJ Shark came here on a one-year prove-it deal. And he kind of proved it. You know what I mean? Like, he he played played better than than well, I would say, when he was on the field. But, again, he needs to prove it again. He needs to prove – the one thing DJ Shark needs to prove is that he's healthy. So that is going to be the interesting part of negotiations for a – a, a you know wide receiver corpse that includes people like Amon Ross St. Brown and Jameson Williams, who everybody wants to see touch the ball more, and Josh Reynolds and Cleef Raymond. There, there's a lot of guys there. So that's the interesting one to me. It's interesting that, yeah, there are a lot of mouths to feed. And I say Jameson Williams didn't even get a lot of that mouth feeding at the end, too. Like he's going to be coming into this on his own. Um, but I'm all down for Kaminsky and for Williams coming back. I'm, <clears throat> I think Shark will be the interesting one just because of how many receivers there are, but I'm all about like, we, we talked about this last year reward. And I know people had, some people had a problem with how the lions approached free agency, but if you have players who are part of your culture, who give you performances and show that they are buying into what you are building, you have, you, you should absolutely reward those people. This isn't a bloodless Madden simulation, a dynasty mode. This is these are people and you reward your people for doing well, because then it creates the word of mouth that did bring DJ Shark here last year. It, 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 it absolutely does. This is this is just handling your most valuable asset, your people 101. Well, let me let me dive a little bit deeper then, because I, I want to talk about Jamal Williams, because I'm, I'm with you. Like there, <laughs> there's going to be enough mutual interest here that it, it seems hard to imagine this relationship not continuing, but like he's due for a big raise. So so how much is too much? And and he plays a position that doesn't have a ton of value in today's NFL. He he made his his last deal here was two million, two years, 6 million is, is so is two, two years, 12 million. Is that, is that too much? Uh, let me throw this by Ryan, because the reason why I'm I'm leaning towards yes, Ryan, is like, unlike I, I do you rem- I don't think Jamal Williams has ever had a significant injury. Am I wrong? He's played a lot of football. I, I don't I don't think he's I don't think he's really dealt with injuries at all in his NFL career. I mean, part so. of that is, is he's always shared the load, but he will continue to share the load in the future, too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're, we're not talking about paying him like he's. Christian McCaffrey or Alvin right. Kamara or, you know, one of these, one of these guys who's kind of viewed as like the lead lead back to your point, Chris, Jamal Williams is going to be best served with another guy in house. And it almost seems like, and, and I'm not saying this for, for any reason other than 
I, I think that kind of DeAndre Swift is a little bit more expendable than Jamal Williams at this point, just because of how important he is to the football team and the culture. And wow. When, when you, when you say, when you say a guy had over a thousand yards and 17 touchdowns and the greatest ability is what availability DeAndre Swift has not proved that. Yeah. Right. And I, I just view Jamal Williams as a little bit more important to this football team. It now don't get me wrong. If DeAndre Swift is hitting this football team changes, right? So I don't know. Like I, I, I think two years, 12 million is probably where I'm like, okay, like you want any more and maybe we can turn it into like incentives. Maybe we can turn it into, you know, language like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, we're going to save the Ben Johnson DEFCON. Well, real quick, let's just do, uh, Jeremy, without any other details, we'll talk Ben Johnson in segment three, but um, DEFCON update, what you got? I can't remember which way is high. I think one is high and five is not so high. I think you're asking the wrong person. Well, yeah, I, one, one is bad. One is one, bad. One is nuclear. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at about a two right now. You're and at a I, two. I, I think I was at a three last week, and it probably sounded like I was higher than that. I'm I'm a little bit more concerned than I was last week, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about why. Yeah, we I I hate to tease it. We are kind of up against it due to due to some uh, technical issues that you will not hear on the final podcast. Contrary to what I have said before, not everything stays in. But we're going to take a break here. During that break, we'll talk a little bit about the playoffs playoffs with our uh twitch audience and then next next uh segment i really want to get into our podcast awards we have very fun awards that we have to give out to people because that time of the year everyone's gone home here's your golden shoes but first we have to let you know that the pride of detroit pod cast is brought to you by righteous felon craft jerky because it's the jerky what it's the jerky that fuels your detroit lions why Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at training facilities at Allen Park. How? Because each bag has of protein, two ounce bags, has 16 to 20 grams of protein. Did I say protein twice? I might have. Bags of jerky, each stick, meat stick, eight grams of protein. If it's good enough for Lions, it's good enough for you. You know I, think why? I, I think I, I think I have a way that the Lions can sweeten the deal for Jamal Williams. Throw in some righteous felon jerky into that contract. B, how about some of this victorious B.I.G. beer infused with pepper? It's really good. good. It's really good. We, you we, know me. It, I'm all about the Fal Capone. It's all about Al the turkey Capone. jerky and the basil, man, the basil. You would never think it would be that good. It is one of my one of my friends from work on our recommendation bought the truffle bill. He's blown away by the idea of using of of using truffles to flavor meat snacks. We swear by this here, not just the Lions, pride of Detroit. Absolutely. I'm I'm literally about to order my next case because mm. one, I'm out Two, <clears throat> I'm going to have idle hands now that we're in the offseason. What am I going to do with those idle hands? You're going to fill them with meat sticks. That's right. <laughs> You're going to fill it with habanero and hickory meat sticks, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, guess what? We've also got a promo code for you. You can go to righteousfelon.com and use the promo code discount POD15 at checkout. That gets you 15% off your order. Get a sampler pack if it's your first time. Get a favorite flavor if you really like them. Get everything. POD15 at righteousfelon.com. We'll be right back on the Price of Detroit POD cast. 
meet both hands. Will, <laughs> Thank you, will, will will we ever not be twelve? <laughs> no, absolutely no. not. We, we work at, we work in sports, Ryan. We work in sports. Welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, everyone. And now it's time for the potties. That's apparently a very terrible thing to call them, but these are the Pride of Detroit POD cast awards, the potties that we give to the Detroit Lions, the season in general, and any other anything else that we have in mind. And uh, I think this is this is fairly straightforward. We're not going to be self-involved at all. We're just going to talk about the team. We're going to talk okay. about. So let's let's go through the categories, Jeremy. Okay. We have offensive MVP. We have defensive MVP. We have most improved player. We have rookie of the year. Best coach. Best moment. Best game. And golden game ball, which is you're maybe not the MVP, but you you you. If you've got if it's watch the locker room sellies, which we do after every game at the Twitch TV slash Pride Detroit during the season, you know Dan Campbell likes to hand out game balls. Maybe not to the best player on the field, but to the glue guy, the gutsy performance guy, the guy who does everything that he need that you know the team needs them to do. Someone someone who is versatile and is. Not quite an unsung hero, but he is, is close to that border. That's the that's the golden game ball, the game ball of all game balls. So, Ryan, we'll start with you and we'll start with offensive MVP for the year. Who was the best Detroit Lion in the year of our Lord 2022 on the offense? I think that it would be pretty easy for me to uh, give this award to a few players. So I'm interested to hear the the players that you guys choose to. But I have to go with Amon Ross St. Brown. I think from start to finish, he was the most important player to this offense. Because when he was not on the field, Detroit's offense looked abysmal. It looked really bad. Uh, if we can think back to... You know, um, even when he was, I, I don't think he was even close to 100% for the Patriots game, right? And just the offense suffered because of it. There, there are other things with that game too, though. But think about Dallas. Think about what happened with the offense in, in that game as well. So, um, I and 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 the end of the Vikings game, right? I mean, he he suffers that ankle injury, uh, not 100%, and then the Dallas game, he goes, you know, I so important. I mean, over 100 catches. Yeah, I, I think he's the most important player. I think he's the offensive MVP. It's hard to argue that. And honestly, there's there's the, the good news is that there's I feel like there are some other candidates, too, right, that are that are completely worthy. I think I think Panay Sewell is a guy that, that probably would get under overlooked, but was immensely important to this team. Jamal Williams is a guy who obviously set set a bunch of personal bests and is kind of at the heart of this offense. But I, I'm I'm gonna go with the simple answer. I'm gonna go with Jared Goff, because I mean, we're, first of all, we're talking most valuable, and and quarterback is gonna be up there. The second thing is like that second half performance. The thing that I think goes overlooked about how good clean football he played was that he mostly did it without a running game. The running game was good in the first half of the season. It was not good during the Lions' eight and two run. It was bad. And so they had to rely on Jared Goff a lot, 
a lot of third and longs, you know, all, all of the red zone efficiency. I know some of that is based on the running game too. Um, cause, cause they maintained good in, in the red zone running the football, but Jared Goff carried this damn offense in the second half of the season. Like there, there's no question about it. And, and they remained as potent as they did in the first half of the season because he had all those guys because, and, and I'm on our played a big part in that for sure. But he made, here's the thing. We always, we always said this about Stafford is that he made the, the receivers around him better. Well, who had heard of Khalif Raymond before Jared Goff had gotten to him? Khalif Raymond, the, the second leading receiver on this team, my friend, what about all these tight ends that are cast offs that are, that are undrafted rookies and, and, and all these guys, Jared Goff is making them better. Eight touchdowns to guys you never heard of before, you know, two or three years ago. Jared Goff is my offensive MVP. Yeah, and I think he's absolutely a candidate for me, too. I know people think I'm like the number one Goff hater for some reason. And like the thing he developed the most in this year was avoiding pressure and making big throws in critical situations. And like... That's absolutely like what you want out of your quarterback. And the fact that we're not even talking that I feel like quarterback has completely moved off the board for the lions for this draft, except for maybe like, I I don't know, some weird out there things, but like, no, I don't think there's a lot of people going to this draft saying the lions need a quarterback because they've got one in Jared Goff. Not people paying attention. No. Um, Since you named Jared Goff, I was worried I might have to do that for a second. Uh, I'm going to go and do Jamal Williams. He's my MVP candidate, not just because of the run game, not just because he broke Barry Sanders record, not just because whenever the Lions needed a touchdown in the red zone, they had a dependable rushing red zone threat in Jamal Williams. But for everything else we've said over about Jamal Williams over the last few weeks, that this is the he is the heart and soul of that team, that there is nobody who I can point to who better encapsulates a player that is emblematic of the Dan Campbell era, who will, who not only is positive, has fun out there, corrects people when they say Pokemon wrong and, and stands up and fights for it, who goes on NBC and gets wide-eyed crazy talking about his jitsu, but also someone who we saw in hard docs talking, you know, firing up the team saying, if you're a puppy, then piss on the porch. (laughs) Like don't like, this is big dog time. Like someone heart and soul of that also performing on the field too and and generating as many touchdowns as he did like maybe the run game wasn't great in the second half of the season but i i guarantee you jamal williams was like with this team thick and thin on it and i really want to see him back in the detroit lions uniform and there you go those are our mvps saint brown goff and williams jamal williams now we move on to the defensive MVP. MVP. Uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. So Jeremy's up first. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like it has to be the guy who made the most game changing plays on the team, and that's Aiden Hutchinson. You know, nine and a half sacks, three three interceptions. Um, the dude was all over the place, and and he only got better as the season went on. I mean, you look at PFF grades, like beyond week eleven, I think he was the number three edge defender in, in the NFL. Um, so we're not just talking about a good rookie. We're talking about a a, a great edge player in, in the league. And so, you, I mean, you just add it all up. He's 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 the heart of the team. He's he's playing 80 percent of the snaps every every game as well, which is a ton for a rookie, let alone a, a defensive lineman. Um, and 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 he's making plays. And so I, 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 I don't know if there's even a second candidate here, to be completely honest. I think, I think it's Aiden Hutchinson running away with this one. 
Yeah, it's Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, too bad it's Aiden he's Hutchinson, Gardner, yeah. but um, <laughs> I kid. It's a joke. It's a gimmick. I, know, I laughed. I laughed. Yeah, but, but I mean, like to, to Jeremy's point, just to like give the the numbers some more context, like, and I think that's that's what's important. What Jeremy brought up about like there was no rookie wall for this guy. Like where the rookie wall was supposed to be, he blasted through it and he was not just one of the best like rookie edge defenders. He was like one of the better edge defenders in football, like in the second half of the season. So um, he was, he was really, really damn good. And I'm really excited for what, you know, being able to see Aiden Hutchinson next year in the first 10 weeks where he doesn't have to go through that acclimation process. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I maybe wanted to throw in some other ideas, but like, yeah, like the guy's been putting up numbers of combined sacks and intercept interceptions for an edge, for an edge rusher, for an edge defender, like the, the combined numbers we haven't seen since we started counting sacks, which I didn't realize we didn't start counting sacks until like Babies. the 80s, yeah. yeah, 82 or something, whenever Lawrence came, came along. Anyway. Uh, that's him, defense MVP, very easily taken care of. Let's go on to, uh, you know what? I'll call an audible, audible here. Let's do rookie of the year. So is it Aiden Hutchinson again? Is he just running away with rookie of the year as well? Or do you want to maybe nominate someone else? I mean, no, it, it has to be Aiden. I mean, we, we can talk about who'd be second place if you want. I mean, I was, I was maybe going to say James Houston should get some nods just because you were at the end of the draft order and you had more sacks than games played in. Like that's damn impressive. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. Is like some Kirby Joseph love. I was going to say I mean, is second place Kirby or is it, or is it James Houston? Cause I feel like it has to be probably between those two with all due respect to, to Rodrigo. Yeah. I, there's another, I mean, all like all, all the players that we just mentioned are like part of the, the blueprint for where Detroit goes from here. So, I mean, like, I feel like we're having a really good discussion about how, Aiden is really so good, but then there's all these other players that are like probably deserving if they played for any other football team, if they didn't have Aiden Hutchinson on their team. Yeah. It's just that Aiden Hutchinson just turned out to be everything you wanted from the second overall pick in his rookie year. Yeah. So the answer is Aiden Hutchinson. And that's the thing. Like I, I, there were, there are a lot of people that were mute, like not that excited about this draft class and said like, Oh, you know, it's a bad year to have a top I even heard some people talking up Kayvon Thibodeau over Hutchinson and Kayvon had a great year too, but I don't think it was, Aiden's it's not even close between right. him and Kayvon like but that was Jer- to, to your point Jeremy that you're gonna make like we were talking about which of the three do you choose like yeah. is it Trayvon is it Aiden or is it Kayvon and it, it seemed like almost there was no right decision at the end of year one there was a right decision 100% yeah absolutely all right most improved is our next category so someone who's really, you know, either in a year or two has really stepped up, changed their fate. Who is it? Ryan. I think it's Alex Anzalone. I think that's a guy that's a who a lot of people did not want to see back in Detroit after um, how he played last year. And to his credit, I mean, the guy went out there. He was one of the most durable players on the defense. And he plays one of the, you know, most... um you know, body sacrificing positions there is playing linebacker. And with what he was asked to do, I think that Alex Anzalone had a huge bounce back season. I think one of the numbers that you can point to is his missed tackle rate. It was 
really, really high last year. Like he was one of the top five players in the NFL, according to PFF in terms of missed tackle rate um, among like qualifying linebackers. He cut that number down big time this year. And I know the defense still didn't play super great, but I think that from last year to this year, I almost feel kind of night and day about the guy. Am I allowed to maybe throw in as my candidate, Jared Goff? Like, I know he had some improved, he had some better games near the end of last season, but largely 2021 was marked by what he did in the first 12, 13 games where he was not, like he came off of a 2020 season that was catastrophic for him. People were talking about him in like being sub Baker Mayfield. And he started with Anthony Lynn and with, you know, the offense in 2021 as just being uh, very indecisive, wilting completely under pressure, backing up, you know, 10, 12 yards and taking a sack, not really throwing past the sticks and and just kind of zero, not really having a lot to really work with, but also not really spending, spending like half a season before realizing Amon Ross St. Brown was really good. Like that was who Jared Goff was. And this year there's nothing really like there were some moments of indecisiveness, but he, this, this 2022 Jared Goff does not look anything at all like Jared Goff for the past calendar year. Yeah. And, and I think, I think coaches would say the same thing because one thing that I kept hearing from, you know, whether it's Ben Johnson or, or Dan Campbell or, or Mark Brunel, they were all saying like, this guy's really taking to coaching. Like this guy is actually really working hard and taking the feedback that we're giving and actually applying it. And so, I mean, that, that is the definition of improving it, right? It, it, it's, it's taking your faults that everyone sees. It's, it's like you said, the, the dropping back too far on your drops, it's doing his weird spin moves or, or whatever it is and, and improving. And that, and yeah, he, de- he deserves to absolutely be in this conversation as well. Um, as does person that I am going to nominate or award. I don't know if we're nominating or officially each. These are just our personal. These are our personal guys. These are our personal um, dudes. Kali Freeman. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the only all pro on the roster. Uh, I never thought anything of, of Kali Freeman as a punt returner. He was just a guy back there to me, like a guy who would reliably catch the ball, though sometimes he would dive and make me very, very nervous. But like he didn't seem like a, a plus or a minus as a punt returner. And he finishes the season second in punt return average, not to mention a pretty darn good weapon in in the receiving game as well. Like that was a guy who came up with a lot of a very dependable guy who who would come up in third down situations and and, and move the chains. And so Kali Freeman to me was a guy that just went from an afterthought, a guy that again, we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, some people were upset that the Lions re-signed him. Uh, I can't imagine there are a lot of people that are upset today that, that he's still on the team. No, especially not when you get an all pro uh, performance out of him. I thought he might come up in our next category. So let's see where we are. We are at golden game ball. Once again, this is the gutsiest player. This is the glue guy. This is the whatever other stereotypes we've got, Ryan, all of them, throw them all into a pot. The guy who is the most Dan Campbell of it out there. He's not the MVP, but showed up the most, did all the dirty plays when necessary, everything you can imagine. So. I, I've got my nominee in mind, but I, I, I I'm going to hold on. I want to go last on this one. So Ryan, who, who do you have? Uh, it's Frank rag now. Okay. Yeah. The guy, you know, dealt with the Liz Frank injury, re-injures the same foot. Like, I mean, 
plays throughout the entire season. He didn't have to do that. Like he's, he's going to have off season foot surgery and he gutted his way through the entire season. And not only just gutted his way through it, like he's, he's arguably the, he's at least in the top three most important players on offense. And you can argue that when healthy, he's, I mean, we all voted on like whenever we have our off season, you know, rankings of like who are the yeah. best players on the Lions team. Like Frank Ragnow is usually in the top two. And if he's yeah. not two, he's one. You know what I mean? So the fact that this guy who like has the, you know, he has the contract, right? Like he has the money. He's clearly recognized as one of the best players in the NFL at his position. And he played despite being hurt all season long. And I mean, Jeremy, talk about just real quick about like what Frank's weeks look like. Man, yeah, he not like you'd see that guy walking on on Monday and on Wednesday, and he's just he's limping through the locker room like he's, he should be he's, in a boot. <laughs> he's walking on the sides of his feet just to like avoid putting pressure on on his toes. And yeah, like doesn't practice Wednesday, doesn't practice Thursday. Has to like, and that matters, right? Like we're talking about practice here, but practice matters. Like you need that practice to really be in game shape. And yet he would have to do it on one limited practice every Friday for the last two months of that season and still played at a pretty darn good level and, and say what you will about the pro bowl, but he made it. And, and that shows that he has the respect of his peers too, because I don't believe he was in the top couple in, in, in fan voting too. So yeah, that an absolute great answer. And, and, the mental anguish I think that he was going through too was also something that needs to be addressed because he was so frustrated all year. Every time he went in front of the media, you could, you could see how frustrated he was anytime the injury came up. And that was something he had to deal with every, every freaking week. So um, definitely, I definitely one of the, the three people I considered for this reward. There you got Jeremy. I think we go other side of the ball guy who would line up opposite him on most days, Isaiah bugs. Very uh, good one. Yeah. Um, Lions run defense wasn't great all season, but when it was good, when they figured things out in the second half of the season, who was the guy that Dan Campbell said was, was kind of the glue there or, or, or Aaron Glenn said is the glue there, or Todd wash, everyone pointed to Isaiah bugs as a guy who was such an important late season addition, late off season addition to this team to really get that run game in control because it, it would have been a lot worse if he wasn't on that roster, not to mention He's a guy a lot of people pointed to as a leader on that defense. A lot of people pointed to as as one of the ringleaders of that, you know, midseason player only meeting. Isaiah Bugs was the leader there. And so you want to talk about the literal clue of that defense that was on the verge of absolutely collapsing for an entire season. Isaiah Bugs had a big reason was was a big reason for for them turning things around in the second half of the season. There's a lot of other names you could probably throw in there. I think Khalif Raymond could actually absolutely be in here. We sure. talked to John Kaminsky a little bit earlier in the podcast could be a name. I don't know if this is, I, I'm worried that maybe as I'm sitting here thinking about it, if it even counts as a golden game ball, but I'm giving it to a man whose role was completely changed middle of the season. And it's Brock, Wright. For a man who was basically here as a blocking tight end. Uh, suddenly elevated to number one and had a unbelievable number of expectations thrown upon him all of a sudden. And yet at the same time, continued to put up very good pass blocking grades. Continued to like not, I mean, the, the problem, 
I don't want to go too much into TJ Hawkinson slander. I know we do that a lot sometimes, but there was always a feeling when TJ Hawkinson was the field, you knew it was going to be a passing play with him. Whereas for Brock Wright, Brock Wright, like, did the thankless job of tight end in pass blocking and run blocking and everything there. Like Brock Wright was throwing out some big, big time blocks as well as catching some big time touchdowns. He kind of embodies that whole position. And when Dan Campbell made him number one, I felt Dan Campbell knew what he was doing because Dan Campbell played that kind of tight end. So I give him the golden game ball. No thoughts. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair fair enough. We got to move okay. things along here, Chris. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. Be the one I know. Says. I know. I, I know. I'm looking at my <laughs> clock and I just panic. We got three more categories. <laughs> best coach. I feel like this one's going to be in a landslide. Is it just Ben Johnson? No, it's not Ben Johnson. Um, okay. For every other team that has a coaching vacancy, Ben Johnson was <laughs> routinely disruptive. Um, he was a distraction. He. <laughs> is no good for your stream snipes. He looks, you know, if you play him in like a split screen game, like Halo two, he will look at your screen. He leaves Legos on the floor. Oh man. That is a huge red flag. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. In all, it's between two guys because like Dan Campbell has to be in the conversation too. Right. He does, but we're, we're, we're pretty worried. (laughs) We're pretty yes. worried about we'll, this we'll guy talk, leaving. We'll talk I, I, about why yeah. we're worried about yeah. John, Ben Johnson. Yes, he probably deserves to do it. But my 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 only argument for for Dan Campbell, and it's something that that Brad Holmes said that I thought was interesting. Like it, it's it's certainly something I thought about Dan Campbell. But like, okay, we are now two seasons in, in which Dan Campbell has made a very unpopular, very risky coaching move in the middle of the season. Yeah, and both both have worked out just as he thought it would. And that to me shows incredible foresight. It shows an ability to make difficult decisions, which is something I'm absolutely terrible with. And then it shows this thing that, that um, Brad Holmes said, which is quote, he has an elite ability to pull a team out of a dark place. Absolutely. No, no, no. And I think that's been the big story of this year. And it's something I've talked about as far as just, Let's change the paradigm about coaches that it's you got to be a leader of men again, not just, you know, great, a uh, great, talented schemer. He, he called he he has gotten a lot better at in-game decisions, you know, fourth down, not just on fourth downs, but also like we talked about in the Green Bay game, calling Matt LaFleur's bluff with the intentional offsides. He's gotten just very good at those. He's improving. Most improved coach. That's that's Absolutely. a good award. That's a good award yeah. for him. Most <laughs> improved, most improved coach, Dan Campbell. Most valuable go. coach, probably Ben Johnson. We don't need. It. Can we just can we bleep his name just so that in case there are any general managers, I'll I'll, I'll look at like that. Yeah, bleep every time we say Ben Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen, yeah, yeah sure. or, or or we should refer to him from now on as Jen Bonson. Okay. Jen Bonson. Like, Who are you I like talking that. about. I like that a lot. <laughs> All right, best uh, best moment. From the year, not quite best game, but best moment. God, it's, it's Jamal Williams after the Green Bay game. <laughs> just, just the the mood swing he had. That was uh... like the 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 personal journey that he was on at that point in time. You know, thinking about his great grandfather, and in the midst of all of it, he's 
He's helping the football team win the win the game. He's breaking Barry Sanders, you know, franchise record for touchdowns in a season. And then he cuts a promo. He cut like the best promo of the year for like who the Detroit Lions are and who they're going to be like. It it was just it was so fitting of a moment. And like, I, I feel like the only one that I, I would toss in there for consideration outside of Jamal isn't technically Detroit. Li- it, it's Dan Miller and it's the right here, right now speech. Like oh, those man. two, those yeah. two that moments counts. for me, like. I mean, it was just like that was a time in the Lions season where it was so very like pivotal and it was the right speech for the right moment and it was the right guy delivering it. And I guess I'm just big on speeches. So like it's either Jamal Williams or Dan Miller cutting promos. For me, it has to be the Penesual catch. Okay, well, yeah, that's fair. Fair. It was it was so fun, first of all. And I love fun. I love I love listen, I do a pretty good job these days of staying composed in in the in the media room in the press box. I cackled. I cackled when that play happened. And I and no one noticed because everyone else was going crazy. It was such an insane moment, and it happened in a huge game, and it happened at a point where people were starting to realize. No, this team could actually make a playoff run. Like this, this could act. This team is playing like a top five football team. They just took down a twelve win Vikings team, and all of a sudden they're they're gone streaking. And to do it on a play as fun and ridiculous as that, on a like a hundred percent well executed play, by the way, by everyone involved, like that was a hell of a catch from Panay, and 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 a good ball by by um, Goff, and and an excellent play call in a critical moment. And as we've seen in some of these playoff games, trick plays are not easy to to pull off in critical moments. No, and the lines lines did it to perfection in a huge football game. They did it routinely. The hook and ladder in the Packers game, like yeah, it's not easy it's, stuff. It's not easy at all. Uh, and that I think play my, had to do with Panay too. <laughs> I think my favorite moment has to go to uh, Lions social media team. What you did after the Green Bay game is. Excuse my French for a second. Fucking legendary. It really was. That was we were laughing all night at everything that was put out. Like that was that was probably the best fan moment you could ask for right there. Even better than the dark Jared uh, thing <laughs> early, early in the. Uh, yeah, he likes he likes Jared Goff. Don't be hating, too. But like everything there, everything was lined up there at the end. It was immaculate. It was wonderful. Not to mention, like, if you guys haven't seen the mic'd up Taylor Decker 18 minute video recapping that entire night, it is one (laughs) of the best things I've ever put out. Honestly. Great work. All right. And then finally, we've gone long here, but. Best game. Best game of the season. What was it? I mean, I I feel like the cop, I feel like the cop out answer is week 18. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is the cop out answer. It can but also be the right answer. It can but... be the right answer, but I'm going to nominate the Jets game because that was the game that I think epitomized. Like, if you want a culture, like if you want, if you want to look at the wins and you want to say, like, all right, if culture is a real tangible thing, where did it impact the Lions? Like, the Jets game was 100 a culture win. Dark Jared Goff. I mean, it's 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 Brock Wright. On the you know fourth down play, it's Khalif Raymond with the you know punt return for the touchdown. 
it's you know it's just all up and down like and it and it was a pivotal game it was one of those games where it's like this is a game like it, it kind of showed up a little early, but like it's what the Carolina game ended up being. But like that's what everybody thought the Jets game was going to be. And it wasn't. And that's right. when it was like, oh, man, this is really, really, really real. And I think that game deserves some shout out, even though it was an ugly game. It yeah. was a Dan Campbell game. I'm going to nominate a game that was actually a loss because I think Ryan's answer is correct. And as much as I like the Green Bay game, I feel like. If you want to talk about a game that got people to notice the Lions and what they were doing and how well they were doing it, and it sucked as a loss, I completely understand that. And I felt it in my heart. But Thanksgiving against the Bills to put up the performance Lions did against one of the best teams, the NFL, to be holding on for dear life. And I mean, I get it. You're undone by a single shot from Josh Allen. But how many other teams have fallen in that regard, too? I felt that even in defeat, the Lions put up a very good performance against one of the best teams, the NFL. And that's all I can really say that is behind Lions at Packers or Lions at Jets. The the only I, I, I agree with everything you said there. The only reason I would push back is because the way it ended the way it did. It mm-hmm. felt it felt like a a no. notch in the SOLers bank. No, I totally get that. But Jeremy, it doesn't matter how that game ends. As long as it ends in an L, it turns an SO in front mm-hmm. of that L. That's fair. Like, I understand yep. that completely. But that's what I mean. Like, it, it, it wouldn't matter how they lost that game. Yeah. The fact that they just lost it would give you SOL. So I want to push that aside for a second. Like people notice the Lions because up until that point, that was the only game on prime time they had in front of a captive national audience and they showed up against until, the best team in the nfl until until the actual, <laughs> yes best game of the season which <laughs> was week 18 like i'm sorry like i it might be the cop-out answer but i feel like the lines had lo- lost a lot of the momentum they got from that game got a, all the goodwill they had gotten from you know going on the streak once they got blown out by carolina people dismissed this team they're like oh okay we don't we don't need to worry about the lines anymore oh Blinds are are knocked out of the playoffs by by the Seahawks. Oh, we don't need to worry about them. They're not going to do anything Sunday. The Packers are going to walk over. And you want to talk about SOL? Those are the games the SOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Packers go on a four game win streak. They're on fire. Right. They could go to the Super Bowl. Right. Aaron Rodgers is back. He was MVP last year. Boom. All that's Cut gone off the head. in an instant. The body dies because this Detroit Lions team is different, and they this this was them proving it, not just showing it but absolutely proving that this Lions team is different. And, uh, and I mean, it's set, set course to what, I mean, we're all smiling. We're all having fun. We're all engaged in the off season. I'm, I'm engaged in an off season because I'm excited about the future of the damn football team because they smoked the green Bay Packers on a national stage. Those are the potties. They will not be flushed. We we need a new name. Yeah. Well, it was the first time we ever did the name. So it's we, we well, maybe, maybe it is our legacy that we come up with bad names for everything. The POD cast, the potties. Hey, man, I never named I never named our website after a uh, a band. OK. We didn't name a website after it. We just named our podcast. out of it. We'll be right back in the Pride of Detroit <laughs> POD cast, which, by the way, POD and podcast stands for Pride of Detroit. We used to explain that every every podcast. And now we don't. Until now.
Welcome back to the Pride Detroit POD cast wrapping up here. Uh, we did promise a Ben Johnson update. I think we last when we last spoke before the podcast awards. Uh, <clears throat> Jeremy had declared it at one. No, DEFCON I, two. DEFCON two. DEFCON two. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse don't, me. Don't don't send people into panic here yet. Well, I think we're about to do that. All maybe. The same. We're, we're about to do that all the same. It doesn't matter what we rate it at. People are going to be panicked all the same. Uh, and that is that Ben Johnson's name has showed up on a lot of coaching searches, along with a lot of other names, too. But yeah. it's clear this is legitimate interest at this point. And it is uh, all over the place. So I guess where are we at with our uh, fear about it? And I uh, just in, in general feelings on Ben Johnson, I guess. Well, I think the, the the majority of the concern has to come from the Carolina Panthers because they're doing an in-person interview with him this week. I think it's the 18th, which I think is Wednesday. Um, and there's been a lot of kind of rumblings that Ben is is the, the front runner there. I think Jonathan Jones from CBS said it on his Sunday night pregame show that, that he was the front runner. <clears throat> and I don't know. There's just there's a couple of things that... Carolina is doing right now that makes me concerned because if, if, if it's true that Ben Johnson is the front runner, the thing that makes me even more concerned is the fact that they are also already doing interviews for defensive coordinators. And to me, that's like, Oh, they might be on step two of this already. And listen, they're not it, it, part of that is probably my own paranoia. Like I don't think they're going to hire they, I don't think they've already in their mind hired Ben Johnson before they've even met with him in person. I was going to say, I am pretty sure also today we learned that uh, Sean Payton is on right. his way out to Carolina to interview for that job as well. Right, right. So there's still and, and listen, Carolina's interview list is very long. It's, you know, Jim Caldwell's interviewed there, Frank Reich, Steve Wilkes, Shane Steichen, Ken Dorsey, Mike Kafka, Kellen Moore, Jared Mayo. Sean Payton, all of these guys are, are people they've either interviewed or, or request, requested interviews. So there's a lot of people out there. But the fact of the matter that, that Ben Johnson appears to be near or at the top of their, their candidate list right now, and the fact that they're already kind of moving to coordinators, to me, that has me pretty concerned. Now, he's already interviewed for a couple other jobs as well. He's interviewed with the Texans. He's interviewed with the Colts. Those were, uh, I think, virtual interviews. Not sure that that anything has progressed beyond that stage. But to me, I'm I'm medium to very concerned about the Panthers right now. Yeah, I'm more worried than I was last week. When when it when it was the Houston Texans, it was okay. No. Like I think that Ben Johnson had the right to be a little bit more choosy. The thing that I'm concerned about, and and I know that there's been some rumblings that Brandon Staley is going to actually return to Los Angeles, and and maybe it might be, you know, Joe Lombardi that gets, um, you know, sacrificed at the altar of the Los Angeles Chargers. But like, that was the one in the immediate aftermath of the Chargers beating the Jags, where or the Jags beating the Chargers, where I was like, oh man, that could be another head coaching position that opens up. And if the Chargers want to go the opposite way of Brandon Staley, maybe they bring in an offensive mind. You know, I, I think as more jobs become open, and that's why I'm worried about, you know, tonight's game. Like if, if the Cowboys lose that, like 
if there are more jobs open, well, then all of a sudden, maybe now Carolina goes to Ben Johnson. Right. Right. So, and, and I guess my, the, the initial concern was, okay, the coaching carousel has just opened up. The lions aren't in the playoffs. All, all the teams that have vacancies right now can interview Ben Johnson, right? There is no waiting. It's not, you know, a, a coordinator that's already in the playoffs. I'm I'm at probably like a three. I'm like DEFCON three. And I would say that I was pretty comfortably at DEFCON five a week ago. I'm around three myself. I think it's it. I, where I'm going to really up it is once the Sean Payton domino falls. Yeah, that's fair. Because depending on what happens... Like there's there's certain teams that I think prioritize Ben Johnson and getting an offensive coach. Like uh, the reason I'm not higher is because, again, as I said, Sean Payton is going to go down to Carolina and ultimately Sean Payton's fate is not dictated by him. It's dictated by the Saints who still owns his rights and they are probably not going to let him go for anything less than the Buccaneers got for John Gruden back in the day, which was a first rounder. Maybe not this year's first rounder, but probably the 2024 first rounder. I I don't know. Do you, but I do you do you think they'd get pettier with a division rival in in Carolina? No, or? I don't think it works like that. Not not with not with the Panthers. Maybe it was the Falcons. Maybe <laughs> like I I don't think they that that is a good question. It's not one I've kind of like sat and thought about. I think just the like he's not your coach anyway. Right. So, and like how much value is there to like, I understand Sean and Peyton is fantastic, but how much are you really expecting him to turn around that much versus getting a first round pick out of right. that? So I, I don't, but, but I guess, I guess here, here's the thing where I, when I talk about that Sean Payton domino, if he goes to Denver, that's a problem because all the teams who want like Denver's not looking at Ben Johnson. If he goes to Carolina or if he goes to, for some godforsaken reason, Indianapolis, then it less than I'm less worried about Ben Johnson. Yeah. Because Ben Johnson yep. just, just got Ben Johnson just got those are teams that are looking at 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 Sean Payton. So if you're a Lions fan, you kind of want Sean Payton to go to Carolina. 100 percent. Yeah. So uh, the, the the other question I wanted to ask in, in all the calculus that we're doing right now about like you know, Sean Payton dominoes falling and, and things like that is what is your not level of concern, but like when you see a team or an organization like the Patriots saying like, oh, we're going to like pay Gerard Mayo, like we're keeping him here. Well, I think that's that that's fast. I'm sorry. Were you, were you not done, Ryan? Or? No, that, that was just essentially my question was like, you see an organization like that and not saying that the Patriots are doing everything right all the time because they clearly aren't. But just showing like, Hey, we want to keep you here kind of thing versus Dan Campbell being very like, Oh, I'm going to do everything I can to help Ben get a head coaching position. I think there is. And something I've, I've wondered about not just because of Ben Johnson, but from other coaching, like we we're maybe at a point in the NFL's life where coordinators are such hot commodities and there's not enough protections to keep them with teams. Like, not that I want, like, I I mean, if I'm Ben Johnson, I want the ability to go and check whatever job I want. But I think at some point, organizations who turn over their coordinators so much are at a massive disadvantage now. Like, I'm the Rams, I'm not saying they've completely fallen apart just because Kevin O'Connell's gone away. 
or that, you know, the Bills are taking a step back without Brian Dable. But if you're an organization turning over your OCs a lot, that kind of hurts your integrity in, in the long run. Like it, right. it hurts your ability to retain your scheme and your identity. And, and so I think, I think that's what sucks most about this, Jeremy, is sure. because it's not even like the, the Lions on the doorstep like the Ram like or coming off super like the Rams were or on the doorstep like the Bills. It's like you're you're coming off. You're trying to come off just a rebuild started. and someone's already trying to swipe away probably your most valuable coaching asset. Yeah. And I think that's why that's part of the reason you see this kind of generation of owners and general managers who are like, let's just get the coordinator as our head coach. That way no one can poach him. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's part of the the calculus in picking a head coach, I think, and and why some people weren't on board for Dan Campbell. Um, but to go to go back to the original question, you know, um, should should the Lions be the type of team that that tries to throw a bunch of money or incentives or say like, hey, you're next in line or whatever to to Ben Johnson? I mean, yes, they should show that they appreciate him, but. I, I think I would rather have the team that's like, we want to have kind of this, this rotating cast of, of coaches, because if people see that we are developing coaches and saying like, you come here as a coordinator, you come here as a linebackers coach, guess what? You're going to go up the ranks real quick. And listen, teams, teams like the Patriots do that all the time too. Like the Patriots funnel out coordinators all the time and, and, they, and they seem to be fine. And whether that's, because Bill Belichick's a genius, whether it's because they have a good system of developing coaches. Either way, I, I I don't know how they do it, but I would be perfectly okay with that. Because do you think do you think Patriots fans are really sweating every time a coordinator leaves town? Certainly weren't sweating when Patricia left town. Maybe a little bit when when their offensive coordinator last year, um, whatever his name Josh is, Josh McDaniels, Josh yeah. McDaniels, um, left. But but in general, like you you need to have a kind of pipeline in place and it's not easy i'm not going to say it's easy I, to do but i would rather have the team that can withstand that sort of stuff because they have it they have like they have an institutional identity um whether it's on offense whether it's on defense or both that that can withstand some of this stuff and so i don't know if the lines are there yet i don't know how much losing ben johnson would hurt this team especially right now that given how how like you said, they're, they're in their infancy of everything. They haven't accomplished anything huge yet. But in general, I think I would rather have the team that that lets those guys develop and, and spread their wings rather than someone that's like, stay with us. I will throw all the money at you. Well, it's a good it's a good test to that regard. So one of my one of my uh, friends I work with was like, it's it's a great test of Dan Campbell in that regard. For sure. Can you do you have the personnel? Do you have people in mind lined up ready to take Ben Johnson's place? It's going to be the first real test we've had of him. And like, look, he swung and missed with Anthony Lynn and found someone in-house to replace. Do you have someone else in-house or do you have someone else in mind? Or do you you even like what Ben Johnson did enough to be like, all right, that's what I want from an offensive coordinator. Let's go interview guys and find someone like Ben Johnson in that regard. But yeah, to your point, like you kind of have to have that organizational resilience. I just, it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask at the end of the day to have that. And I just think that, I think if more teams out there probably just need to be like, and also too, like I think some of these teams are hurting themselves and how quickly they grab the young guys too, because it clearly didn't work out for the Cardinals. Uh, let's talk about what's coming up next in the season and in the off season here. Uh, we just had the Brad Holmes press conference. Uh, 
Is there anything you want to take away from it as far as like where the Lions go from here in the offseason, where we we're going to have plenty of podcasts talking about the priorities of Lions for the offseason. So, well, yeah, I, I think to me, there was there's two big takeaways from that press conference that kind of already kind of lay the groundwork of, of what to expect. Right. The first is, is all the comments that both him and Dan Campbell made about Jared Goff. Right. Is is. Dan Campbell says, you know, we think he's proved enough that to, to be our our quarterback. Brad Holmes comes out and says it's a lot hard, a lot easier to get worse at quarterback than it is to get better at quarterback. So memo to anyone making a mock draft for the Detroit Lions, don't put a quarterback in there. Six or 18. <laughs> like you can just skip it. I know, I know temptation is gonna set in. I know you're gonna look at Jared Goff and be like, I don't know. Do they really think that guy? They do. So just just move on. We we can all we can all get on with our lives. No one's gonna I mean, I, I know there's certain people I love you. I love you, Kent, but they like Jared Goff, and you're just gonna have to come to terms with that. Um, if 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 that bothers you. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was his talk about free agency. Uh Brad Holmes talk talking about free agency because someone asked him, okay, well, you've got a better roster now, you've got more resources in free agency. Does the strategy now train change in, in free agency? And what did he say, Ryan? What did he say, Jeremy? He said no. Nope. We're gonna we're gonna still continue to be very selective in free agency. We're gonna continue to value the guys that are on this team. This guy, this team has what 18 free agents or so, unrestricted free agents. They're gonna bring at least 12 of those guys back. Like, let's let's be completely honest. Maybe more than that. And so um I think free agency might not be as fun as you think, which is might might frustrate some people, even though they have a little bit more money. Maybe they go out and get one guy. But I think in general, you're going to see a very similar base team that you saw in, in 2022. And guess what? That's okay because young players get better. And so if you just take that very young roster next year, not everyone's going to improve. Not everyone's going to make a year two or a year three jump, but some will. That could be enough to go from what finished as probably – in a slightly above average team to a very good team. And so it might be more a more subdued offseason than you think, but I mean, I didn't even get into the draft picks, right? Like they they got they got six, they got 18, they got what 40 something and then 55. Yeah, they have what three pick or five picks in the top 80. And and is there anyone doubting Brad Holmes's ability to turn that into at least three starters next year? I mean, he just turned like what how counting in my head how many how like six rookies into (laughs) complete studs yeah like top to bottom we've talked a lot about this last draft class like i think he's i think he's actually earned the uh i I know jeremy you don't like trading up but he i think he's earned the right to be a little aggressive sometimes too i know i know i'm sorry well jmo hasn't worked out yet i'm I'm excited for well but Okay. I think I think that's okay. more. I, <laughs> am I wrong? Okay. Yeah. Am the guy. Wrong? Oh, he's coming back from a torn ACL. We I knew. Know. Don't say that. Like we didn't know what the expectations were. I'm just. Don't, so I found I found the one thing to knock Jeremy back into the cynical part is talking about trading up. You just you just burn the entire first year of that kid's rookie contract. Well, hey, you don't. <laughs> I'm, oh I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. You, uh, relax. Don't turn off the podcast. I love you. You you absolutely. <laughs> Jeremy thinks you absolutely can car- cross off quarterback at six and 18 for the lions, but can you cross off running back my article? Um, anyways, no. So let's talk 
to, to your points about Brad Holmes, Jeremy, and put the knife down. Uh, <laughs> to not a visual medium, but your threats will be uh, they will be noted. The the thing about Brad Holmes press conference that I guess I I, I was concerned about was going to be like the fan reaction to like oh like we're it's going to be like a redo of what we just did this past off season yeah and i think that there should be a level of comfort with fans going into this free agency cycle because i there are players that should be back there are players that this team will definitely benefit from having again here wanting to play and having the opportunity to to continue their, you know, their auditions that they essentially had, right? Like, I don't yeah. know if like John Kaminsky is going to get a, you know, a lengthy deal or do you know what I mean? Like, right. I, is Alex Anzalone going to get a, a, you know, four year contract, right? Like, I, I think that a lot of these contracts are going to be, they're going to be short. Some of some of them might end up looking like the Charles Harris contract. And, and I'm not talking about that in terms of the quality of the play that the player provided, but like those kind of bumps. Right. You know what I mean? Um, go go ahead, Jeremy. I was just going to say, and, and the difference between last year and this year is I think Lions fans are going to be on board with most of them, right? Because last year it was like, this team finished 313-1. Why are you re-signing guys yeah. like, you know, Alex Anzalone and, and Khalif Raymond? Like, these guys weren't good. Turned out a lot of them were good. But regardless, like, people want Isaiah Bugs re-signed. People want Jamal Williams re-signed. People want maybe even Alex Anzalone re-signed. They, they want these guys to be re-signed because guess what? They played better and yeah, and they deserve to be back. And so uh, I think same strategy, but makes even more sense this year, I think. And, and you just have to view this as a football team that continues to get better through the draft, right? Like I, I, I don't think that there were, I don't think that there was a single player that we talked about during the second segment in terms of awards that wasn't a, I mean, outside of Jamal, like that was a player that wasn't a draft pick of Brett Holmes. Right. You know what I mean? Like, or I, I, this team is is building through the draft clearly. And when you have that many picks in the you know top 100, it, that's what they're going to do again. They're going to add some more pieces that are going to be relatively cheap and they're not going to cost much. And if Brad Holmes can get the kind of you know production out of them, that's that's how you want your football team to be built in theory and say what you will about a rookie quarterback contract being the straw that stirs of the drink. I think, I think you can put that away like Jeremy said, but I wouldn't be shocked if one of those first five picks is a quarterback. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be surprised because of the comments, Jeremy, that Brad Holmes made when he talked about, and I know they're far few in between, but like, Patrick Mahomes marinating behind Alex Smith and sure. Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre. And we, we talk about the, the benefits of, of sitting a quarterback, but you know, instead of just playing them right off the rip, look at, look at what happened to Zach Wilson. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if your team just needs a quarterback and you're drafting a quarterback and you're throwing them immediately into the fire, there can be disastrous results. Sometimes you, you might not be able to, to, you know, reclaim, the, the investment that you made. I think that Brad Holmes comments definitely left the room for Detroit to draft a quarterback, not one that is immediately going to challenge to be a starter, but like, could you make an argument for a player? If, if, if it's the right guy and Brad Holmes always talks about, Hey, if we can upgrade a position, we'll, we'll always entertain that thought. Yep. Don't give me hope. 
don't I know this for... this is all Anthony Richardson talk to Chris. I know just, it is. <laughs> just trade down, get the Mr. Relevant pick, and find the next Brock Purdy. There you go. You hear that, Brad Holmes? <laughs> but what would Mr. Relevant even be for this class? Bo Nix. Actually, I think Bo Nix is. Do you know back. who you're talking to right now? I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I can't name. I know that's why I'm asking you. Class. That's why I'm asking you. I feel like I feel like the person who doesn't want to know it the most. You probably like tell me. The Dan's Dan's list cast request of who do you think the top five picks of the draft are going to be? And Chris is like, who's going to be number two fifty six? I know. Look, I'm just trying this from a different angle, Ryan. I love it. I love it. Well, what I love is that we were at the end of the podcast. Oh, okay. You want this to be over? <laughs> no, not really. But I, I know if I keep you around any longer, you're going to get mad because uh, Cowboys Bucks is about to start and you still have to put in your bets. I do. And yeah, that's all I got to say. All right. This all was right. a great podcast, guys. Get ready for more awesome off-season content. That's right. Because we never sleep at POD. You really don't. And POD cast keeps thundering on. Uh, we'll discuss. We need to discuss our off-season format for non-POD cast POD cast offerings at some point. But we'll let you know as soon as we do. So until then, for myself, for Ryan at Ryan underscore POD, Jeremy Reisman at Detroit on Lion, for myself, Chris Fett at Chris Fett, Luchador out. <laughs>